Welcome to Christian Life Church podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Else, but uh, I thought it would be really good to to draw our thoughts together around the whole concept of how God wants to use our imagination to ensure for us that we experience and indeed possess everything that He has for us. But let me start today by just praying. I, I believe this particular set of conversations have been. I think according to the things people are responding to, quite beneficial for people. They've had, uh, I've had a lot of feedback from people saying they've found it quite helpful. So I'm grateful to God for that because it, it was all in my imagination at one point that we would talk about imagination, but now it's become real. But Father, I thank you today as we just draw our conversation to a close. We know that's not the end of the journey, that you who began this good thing in us will carry it on until it's complete. And we pray, Lord God, that you will have your way with our imagination. You redeem every imagination in this room and those who are watching online so that they would be filled to the full measure of all that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, I recently was at an event and somebody um, said, why don't we pray for future generations? I don't know if you've ever been at an event like that. I seem to find myself in places and spaces where people are thinking like that and they're wanting to pray and, and prepare a future and a world for people that are coming uh, into existence or even right now haven't even uh, been born. And um, as we went around the room and people were talking and, and making their prayers, it, it was a familiar set of prayers for me. People tended to pray things like this, God, just let your Holy Spirit touch them. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Lord, let your Holy Spirit touch them. We've never met them, but Lord, we pray they'd have a real encounter with you. We pray, Lord God, that you would just fill them and impact them with the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We prayed that prayer. And um, I, I was kind of a little bit kind of caught off guard because it's been a few years since I've been in an environment like that. So when you've gone around a room and all these people have prayed these amazing prayers, do you ever struggle? Are you like me? Do you think, well, what, what, what would I pray? I just said ditto to all of the things that happened before and said, I agree with all of that, God, and, and whatever else you want to do is good. But we tend to think that the answer for the generations to come is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have a tendency, I think, to think that somehow something external needs to happen for God to have his purposes fulfilled. And I came away from that prayer meeting thinking, I'm not so sure that's how God sees things. I'm not so sure that God is waiting for a bunch of people so he can pour his spirit out on them again. I mean, how many times do we need the Holy Spirit poured out on us? Well, for me, every day is a good answer to that question. But, but also, is that the only way that God raises people and changes the world and transforms society? And I was drawn to this particular passage, and this is um, a young man called Paul who's praying for those who have yet to even exist in the church. And, and these are his words. Why don't you turn with me please to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul praying for those who have yet to know Jesus or experience Jesus or encounter the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 23 if you have your Bibles ready. I wonder if we can put this up on the screen if possible. It says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when raising Christ Jesus from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is involved, not only in the present, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When I read this, I realized that Paul was not praying that something new would happen. What Paul was actually praying is that we would have, or these people would have, a revelation of what they already have. Paul prayed that the eyes of our heart, I think the authorized version says the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened. And he used the word, the Greek word, dianoa, which means deep thought. Paul prayed that our understanding, our deep thought, would be opened up to help us see. And what does he want us to see? The hope of his calling and receive from God he's praying that our imaginations would be filled with the realities of what already has taken place in our lives you see for us I think as Christians we so often think that God wants to do something that we have to find or seek or get and there's no problem with that I think in God's economy there's always more to be had but I want to tell you this morning a secret that I think will change your life. You already have everything you're searching for. The search is not an external search. We're not running here to experience that or coming over there to get a little glimpse of that. What we need is the eyes of our heart to be enlightened to the hope that we already have. And the eyes of our heart is that journey of discovering the fullness of what it means for us to be Christians. You see, as a believer, I have to partner with God. In His divine nature, I'm a partaker of that. And that nature is moving in me and it's manifesting through me. And it's moving and it's manifesting through the church at large. God is doing, already is doing, has already started something exceptional in your heart and in mine. Someone say amen to that. Encourage me a little bit. I don't have to go to Toronto to experience that. I don't have to travel to the ends of the earth. I already have everything pertaining to the life that Christ has afforded me, living and dwelling richly inside of my life. The road to discovering that is that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened to the hope that I already have. Now, think of all the airfares you're going to save. Think of all the places you're not going to visit. Because what we're going to do today is we're going to drill down into the reality of what we already have. And we're going to ask God by the power of His Spirit and through His Word to envision our souls and fill our imaginations with what it means for us to truly be engaged with this saving work of Jesus. In 2 Peter 1 verse 4 it says these, Through these He has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate, and this is what we're doing, in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. 
Hebrews 3 verse 1 says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, does that describe you today? Some of you aren't sure. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, listen to this phrase, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. You see, when I start to understand that everything pertaining to the life that I hope for and dream for actually already lives in me, I take the power of circumstance out of my life. I stop blaming the devil for my lack of advancement. I stop saying, well, if I went to a better church with a better pastor, I might be further on. I stop criticizing or critiquing the worship team because the power to determine the life that Christ has called me to is not an external power. It's an internal reality. The fullness of the Godhead dwells richly in Christ, and Christ, the King of glory, dwells richly in me. When I start to understand that I'm not waiting to get a feeling in a worship set or to hear a little soundbite from heaven I haven't heard before because I've listened to people preach the gospel for years, but I realize that inside of me the greatness of God already exists. I stop deferring my transforming experience to another place or another person or another experience and I recognize something. Greater is he who lives in me than anything that I face in this world. And that journey to seeing that greatness become manifest in the way I think and the way I life is the work of the Spirit. That's why God has left us His Holy Spirit, so He can bring into fruition through the Word and by the Spirit everything God desires to do. All around us right now, everyone's talking about climate change. Have you noticed? Now, if you're over 50, it doesn't mean that much to you. Just keeping it real for you, just so you know, okay? Just because we're really selfish and we wrecked it for you and, well, let's see what you can do with that. But if you're under 30, it might be important to you. But let me talk to you about something I think the Holy Spirit quickened me to understand a couple of years ago. I actually believe I already am subjected to a climate change that has the possibility to transform my world. And that climate change is that heaven came to earth and dwells in me. The climate of heaven, what does it look like? Well, the Bible tells us there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there is no death. Nothing in heaven speaks of a life of decay. It speaks of fullness and blessing and the, the, the awesome awe of living eternally in the realities of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus turns up in our world and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's not saying you have to run somewhere to get it. He's saying right in front of you, right inside of you, this kingdom of abundance has come to dwell. So I believe the climate of my soul, the climate of my spirit has already been impacted by the climate of heaven. I am already my heavenly carbon footprint. Suddenly was supersized the day the king of glory came to live inside of me. Do you know when you used to go to McDonald's and they'd say, do you want to go large? 
you remember those days when we, we didn't care how fat we got? Do you remember those days? Who's nodding? Come on, tell the truth. You always had the extra chips and the bigger drink, even if you didn't finish it, because, because you wanted to go large. You know that appetite for increase is actually the same appetite that God wants to use for you to increase spiritually? What you do in the natural is what God wants to do in the supernatural. Oh God, will you bless me? Amen. Will you increase me to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west? Will the gardens, the parameters of my life fall for me in pleasant places? But you know, church, with all of your desire to have a bigger McDonald's, I pray today you have a bigger desire to see the kingdom, the climate of God inside of you manifest and increase and pour out of you so the world around you can be changed. We are partakers of his divine nature. And Jesus used loads of phrases to try and help his disciples move away from smallness in their thinking and actually dream the bigger dreams of God. Jesus even said this to them, and greater things you shall do than even I have done. I think for all of us, if we had a day where we lived like Jesus, we'd be really pleased with ourselves. Probably so pleased we might fall into sin. We'd get a little bit smug about it, think, oh gosh, I'm really living the Christian life. But Jesus didn't say, live to the level I'm living. He said, live beyond the level that I'm living because the, God is coming, the power of the Spirit is coming inside of you and greater is he who is in you than anything that's in this world. See, the problem with us, church, is we're waiting for something to happen and something's already happened. We're waiting for someone to come and someone's already come. Amen? You have God living inside of you. Let the roar out. <laughs> Let the roar out. Let it happen. Become aware and awaken to the reality that the kingdom of heaven has made its residence by the power of the Spirit inside of you. What does that mean? That means that every room I walk into, it's possible to see climate change. Everywhere I place my foot, I can see God's kingdom come. I don't have to conjure it up. I don't have to work it out. I just have to trust what the word of God says about it. It means this, that when I go into a place of adversity, I am the head and I'm not the tail. It means that when I find myself in a space where the world is trying to confine me, I can clear openly and honestly, no, 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 no. My God defines the realities of who I am, not the circumstances of my life. I'm not waiting for you to give me permission to live gloriously. The one who is glorious has come to live inside of me. Paul's not praying for a move of the Spirit. Paul's praying for people to understand what already has taken place. He's not praying that God in the last days will you... Will you win the lost? He's saying, no, God, let the lost understand just how found they really are. Paul is saying, look, when you see these things, this is not about external angels and demons and all the prophetic things that you want. What you really need is for your spiritual internal eyes to be opened up to the great thing that God has already given you. God has called you and he's called me to live that adventure. And I don't believe that we will ever get there until we allow him to fill our imagination with the possibilities that he has indeed supplied for us. Go to 1 Corinthians 12 for me, please. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, it reminds us that we are the body of Christ. What does that mean? 
We are the living, breathing representation and reflection of the climate of heaven filled with the power of the Spirit here on earth. And each one of us, turn to the person on your left-hand side and say, I think he's talking to you. Each one of us, each one of us has a part to play. See, what's happened, I think, over time is that we kind of think all the spiritual stuff happens here. I think we've fallen into the trap of thinking if you truly want to serve God, then you need to stand on a platform and speak like the old guy that's fat from Ireland. I think we've moved our thinking away from the place where we work and think real spirituality happens over here, but that isn't what the Bible says. The Bible says that you are the body of Christ. You are his hands and you are his feet. And this glorious climate change where you have everything necessary for the life that Jesus Christ has called you to and far more than you recognize or realize because there are greater things to see and to experience than even Jesus himself performed here on earth begins by you mobilizing yourself, you activating your faith, you engaging your life in something beyond yourself. And when you start to live beyond yourself, you start to see that you can't live out of the fullness of who God is. The problem with all of us is we've reduced and reduced and reduced our lives to such a point we think that spirituality happens on a Sunday, on Monday I go to work. Do you know what, can I tell you, you don't have a job, you have a ministry. You don't have neighbors, you have a missionary field. Hello? You don't have adversaries, you just have people who don't know the glory of God just yet. We as the church of Jesus Christ need to understand that we don't have to go somewhere or experience something more, that the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus Christ now dwells richly inside of us. Otherwise, we'll just sing that song, which is becoming a little bit of a needle in my flesh, I must be honest with you. When I open up my mouth, what happens? Tripe and triviality comes out. No, when I open up my mouth, I have been given, not because of me, but because of Christ, I have been given an authority to change the environment around me. That's what happens. So, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, for me, it's a little bit easier because I, I kind of live, I live in this building. I live here. I don't have a mortgage anywhere else. I live here. I live here. This is my, I hope to be buried from this church. Somebody said that might happen quicker than you think, Pastor. <laughs> but I do. I hope I go out to glory from this church. Would that be okay, elders and deacons? And I'm going to give you all the right things to say at my funeral. <laughs> I'm not going to leave anything to chance. It'll be very well scripted. There'll be dancers and singers and maybe pink flamingos. Why not? After all, I was creative. But the, the reality is, I think, for me, the parameters are a bit easier because I kind of do this every day, all day in my life. But you come here. And so I say all these things to you, but actually the only real reason I'm saying them to you is not to get you to come here more. I mean, for some of us that might be good. But I want you to go out there. I want you to see the world the way God sees the world. I want you to take this glorious climate change and change everything around you. I want you to dream the dreams of God, see the possibilities that God has set before you in every environment, no matter what the world tells you or tries to tell you, 
you have an authority and a capacity that supersedes anything in what we call the natural world. You are born again by the Spirit of God. You are filled with God's power and grace. Amen. Amen. When you turn up, devils are really unhappy about that. That's why you have some problems in your life. They don't want you to ever become everything you can become. Here's what they'd like for you to do. Go to church on Sunday and on Monday forget everything you heard. They don't mind how high you sing in church. They just don't want you to live out loud in the world. So we have been given this climate from heaven here on earth. And the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us how to demonstrate that. He says that we are the body of Christ. John 14 verse 12, I said it twice already, but I, it just draws my attention deeper and deeper into what is available to us. In John 14 verse 12, Jesus says, you will do greater things. So I have to become an active partner in the greater things. Why don't you say that out loud? I have to become an active partner in the greater things. Now like you really mean it. I have to become an active partner in the greater things. So where does all this begin? I think it begins in our imagination. In Ephesians 1 verse 13 it says, you won't be able to understand these things. That is the riches of the glory of his inheritance within you. The riches of the glory of his inheritance within you. The riches of the glory, I'll keep going, of his inheritance within you. The riches of the glory of his inheritance within you. You won't be able to experience the exceeding greatness of his power, Ephesians 1 verse 19 says. These words exceeding and greatness are hyperbole. The emphasized is in the fact that God's power already is infinitely greater than anything you can imagine. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, can I ask you a quick question because it kind of tripped me up this week. Do you think it was harder for God to create the world or raise Christ from the dead? I can tell you, for I've thought this through, that it must be harder to have raised Christ from the dead than it was to create the world. Why? Because there was no adversity at the beginning in the creation process. But whenever God decided to raise Jesus, his son, from the dead, every demon and demonic stronghold that exists in this world was set against that purposes. So if that is the kind of power that lives inside of you, you lack no good thing for the life that God has called you to live because that power is immeasurably more than you could ask or even imagine. That power came against the hordes of hell and they could not stop Jesus from being raised from the dead. That power forced itself upon God. As Jesus bled on that cross, every one of those demons screeched with joy and on the third day there was a rumbling and God began to raise his son from the dead. It's that power that God has given to you. It's that power that lives inside of you. Why would you be intimidated by anything in this world when this world had to subject itself to that power from heaven on earth? And it's that power that lives and breathes and has its place inside your life and the trouble is you're sitting on it and you're living with it but you have no idea how to use it. And Paul prayed that we would get this. He prayed that the eyes of our heart would be opened. 
He's praying that our imaginations would come alive and understand that all that God has already given us in Christ. He's pleading down the generations in prayer and intercession that the enormity of that power which has been placed in our lives would come to a place of realization in our thinking. He's praying that our hands would partner with that power and activate that power in the world in which we're living. He's praying that our feet will be ready with the good news of the gospel to carry the culture of heaven, the climate change that's necessary on our planet into every space and to every place. And I don't know about you, but I'm tripping on that. I find that absolutely startling that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, where no demon could stop it, no culture could define it, no problem could contend for it. That power lives inside of you and it lives inside of me. When the Apostle Paul says these words, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in this world, he's reminding you of the resurrection power of Jesus that sits and so often dormantly in the hearts and lives of God's people. Now, I don't know about you, but having left that prayer meeting where everyone's praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and then being reminded of the scripture, I realized something. I realized that 2,000 years ago, a man who wrote nearly half of the books of the New Testament prayed a very different prayer than the prayer that I would pray. I realized that what he's praying from is this certainty, this absolute clarity that what God has done for us is so incredible in Christ Jesus. I realized how Paul was able to live the glorious life he lived when all kinds of things were kicking off against him. He did not lose sight of the clarity and the truth that he had within his heart. I realized why God used him to write so many things for us to remember. I realized why he wrestled in his own flesh with the truth and the reality because he felt his own infirmity at times. He speaks to it as a thorn in his flesh. But this one thing above all things comes out in all of his writings he was certain, absolutely convinced, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead lived inside of his body. That's how he got up in the morning, and that's he got out to work, and that's how he did what he did, and that's why he preached where he preached, and that's why he taught what he taught, because he was utterly, majestically, and phenomenally convinced and convicted that this which God had done for him was the answer to everything around him. Paul simply prays for us today, all down these generations after generations, that we would see what he had seen for himself. The verse in Ephesians 1 verse 8 says this, Paul says that he, it's, I love this, it's not that he just gave us the power, he lavished it upon us. Do you feel lavished upon today? What he's saying is this, God has abounded to us in all wisdom and prudence. Both versions, the NIV and the King James, use the past tense to describe what's happened. They're not saying that one day, someday, somehow these things will come to pass. Both versions, the AV, the authorized version, and the King James version, and now the NIV, all say that this actually has taken place. This is what 
the contract between God and you is this certainty that the power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. So when Paul prayed that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Ephesians 1.17, he says simply this, that God would help you, that God would help me to understand what we already have. Let me just camp there for a minute. What do we already have? Is there sickness in heaven? So what do you already have? Healing. Yeah? Is there anxiety around the throne of grace? So what do you already have? Peace that surpasses all understanding. Is there sin and enslavement to any situation, addiction, or difficulty in heaven? So what do you already have? If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So sit in your seats today. I've got great news for you. Stop waiting for something you already have. You already have healing in Jesus' name. By his stripes, you are healed. Now, maybe it's not fully manifested in you, and that's the journey between you and God, and we will certainly pray for you, but Christ Jesus has already supplied everything necessary for your healing today. And when Paul is praying that the eyes of your heart will be opened, he wants us to shift our focus from out here, from the circumstantial difficulties of our world where we're tossed about by all kinds of things, and he wants the eyes of our heart to become fully available and accessible to the truth and reality that the God who has already accomplished everything that's good for us has deposited that truth and that reality by the power of his resurrection through his spirit in our lives. So if I wake up tomorrow and I've got a gammy knee and you know I've got a gammy knee, how should I pray, oh God, if it's your will, if it's possible, if I'm not too much of a sinner? If only the people around me, God, would lay hands on me. If only if I was in a meeting and the glory fell. I, I have prayed, I've listened, I have heard those prayers, the circumstantial, maybe possibly prayers, of people who mean well but know very little about how this works. And let me explain to you, my knee is already healed in heaven by the reality of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. It's yet to be fully manifest on earth. So get praying. Now, reach your hand out. Who wants to touch it? Liz, you've been eyeing this knee up for a long time, I can see. When Jesus prayed for people, I've noticed a trend. He doesn't get into dialogue with people. Have you noticed that? He doesn't say, well, it must have been hard for you. You know, I can only imagine what it feels like whenever the angel comes and stirs the water. Gosh, you must be so bitter and disappointed. And the man's lowered through the roof on the mat. Jesus doesn't say to him, gosh, you really have put a lot of effort into getting yourself here. You've got all your friends involved in it. I'm really delighted with you. Thank you so much for turning up and interrupting my meeting. He doesn't do any of that. Jesus doesn't get into the human narrative. Why? Because when our focus is on our lives and who we are and what we think and what we feel, faith has no place to land. Do you know why? Because your flesh is louder to you than your spirit. Round about now, your flesh is speaking louder than the Holy Spirit. It's saying words of this measure. 
Tell him to hurry up, Jesus. Because dinner, dinner, I can, t I can hear you. Dinner, that chicken is calling my name in Jesus' name. Your flesh is speaking louder to you and can speak louder to you than your spirit. And you see, when we come to God and we start, I've prayed with people over the years and you come and you say, tell me what's wrong. And they tell you like, then I was three and then I was four. And then at six, my dad ran off with a coal man. And then at seven, you know, I fell in the schoolyard and nobody picked me up. So I'm bruised and damaged for life. Do you know, not only have they got no faith, by the time they finish disclosing everything that's happened in their life, I'm not even sure there's a God that exists. It's got so bad. Why did Jesus not do it? Because he knew, he knew that this seems more real to us than this. He knew that our flesh was loud and brash and present and visible and tangible. In the Old Testament, it asked us to find God, it says, that we must be still and know that he is God. What is the being still part? Taking this and subduing it to this. Where does God live? In here. Right here. If you're born again, he's here. Okay? So if this is loud, and he has a still small voice, which is a whisper, this has to become subdued. So we have to press past our flesh if we're ever going to understand what's happened to us in our spirit. And here's why we don't pray for the sick or tell people about Jesus. Our flesh has got a megaphone. And our flesh says they're not interested. Our flesh says, oh, don't embarrass yourself. Our flesh says, you know, I don't really think this is an appropriate time because I'm in this particular environment. Your flesh has so much to say. And it talks all the time, every day, all day. You know when you're in bed at night and you can't sleep? It's not Jesus talking to you. It's not the devil trying to get you. It's your flesh. It won't shut up. Oh, this pillow's a bit comfortable. Perhaps you need a new mattress. Perhaps if she didn't sleep so close, I could actually stay married to her. Whatever it is that's going on. Whatever it is that's going on, it's your flesh, and your flesh just loves to be heard. Well, here's a great thought for you today. You've listened to it for X amount of years. What did it produce? And the Apostle Paul takes off the hands of the devil and off the, the lives of people this notion that something needs to happen. That if only my circumstances, I've, I've actually been with ministers and they've said things like this to me. When I retire, I'm going to read all the books on my bookshelf. Really? Won't you want to go to B&Q and garden centers? Isn't that what people do that are retired or sail around the world? Can you imagine taking all those books on a cruise with you? That'd go well, wouldn't it? We have this fleshly approach to spirituality that thinks one day somehow in some way you know i've been in churches a long time people say we just had the right leader the problem isn't the leader the problem is your flesh
We just had the right worship leader or we just sang the right songs. You know, I like hymns, Pastor. I like traditional hymns. And, you know, if we just sang, for thine be the glory, the glory would come. And the truth is, we could sing it all day long and the glory may not come. Others say, I just think we need to kick off our shoes and get a little bit of reggae in the church, Pastor. I think we need to... We need to get a little bit of rhythm. We need, to, we need to think a bit differently about stuff. We need to mix it up, ma, mix it up. We need to mix it up. The power is not in the music. It's not even in the person. The power of God lives inside of you. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the answer to every question your flesh is asking. Everything your flesh desires can only truly be satisfied when you understand that the thing that needs to happen above all other things is that the eyes of your heart need to be enlightened to the truth of who you are and all that Christ has done for you. I think I'm going to leave it there. I think the chicken has won. <laughs> Is it me or is there a manifestation of the presence of God? Could you smell something cooking? <laughs> is that the Lord? <laughs> it's the Lord. The answer, he answered your prayer. Your flesh won. Yeah, I think I'm going to leave it there. Let me take you quickly to something as we go. Revelation 12, 11. So people ask me all the time, you know, what's the destination? Where are we heading? What are we going to do? What's it going to look like? And I'm going to give you a couple of things here which I think have, in some senses, lived in me for a number of years. But Revelation 12, 11 says, this is what it's going to look like. You ready? If you could have a crystal ball, you could look into the future, this is what it's going to look like. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives, I think the authorized version says, even unto death. Okay, so, when I stop believing, okay, that the God inside of me is greater than the circumstances or the climate around me, I become a victim to all kinds of things that hinder and restrict my progress as a Christian. I'm always waiting on something extra when I've had all the extras that heaven could give, given to me, the fullness given to me in Christ Jesus. I have to live from the inside out, not from the outside in. And here's why this is important. This particular scripture is where we're heading. This is what it's going to look like. This is how we're going to need to live. These are the things that will hold us and fulfill everything God has for us if we embrace them and understand them. Let's look at them. They overcame. Hey, wait for a second. How can we overcome when we are overcome by everything in our world? There's got to be a shift. Yes? From being overcome by our world and actually believing the truth of God's word that we are already an overcomer. See, this is Paul's teaching. He's saying you already have been made new with Christ Jesus. You have overcome as he has overcome. 
6, Ephesians chapter 2 says, We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, above all powers, dominions, and authorities. We in Christ, Christ in us, are already positioned for overcoming. But on a day-by-day -day basis, I have to live out of that overcoming reality. So it's not okay for the circumstances of my life to overcome me. I have to overcome them. Good things happen to bad people, yeah? Have you ever noticed that? Talk to me and go home and be ignored. Good things happen to bad people, yeah? What about this? What about this is God's preferred option? Good people happen to bad things. Do you think God would prefer that? Otherwise, we're just tossed about by circumstance, yeah? You see, when you take the power to dictate how you live from out here and you realize that greater is that power, that climate inside of you than anything that's outside of you, you will never be overcome by anything. You will always be an overcoming Christian. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's join hands, contact the living. Come on. You will always be an overcoming Christian. So they overcame. Now, let, let's talk about that. How do you overcome? By overcoming. I think we somehow think we're just going to meander through the end times. We've got a little ticket. We're going to be in heaven. It's all going to be okay. Do you know what? You think it's bad now? Here's where you could start overcoming. Stop complaining. And start complying to the word of God. Amen? That's a great overcoming moment. Do you know we are professional whingers in the United Kingdom? Some of us have master's degrees in it and we, to, we teach all over the place, you know, how hard life is. I, I, I listen to people and their prayers and you would think that Jesus wasn't powerful the way some of us pray. Oh God, it's so hard. Oh God, it's so difficult. Do you know, it's true that life is hard. I'm not going to pretend to you. If you thought it was going to be easy, you're in the wrong gig. But Jesus has overcome this world. Yes? So I either let life be hard or I become an overcomer with Jesus. And even though life is still hard, I am with Christ who overcomes all things and I become an overcomer. That might mean I have to overcome some things. How are you ever going to have a crown if you don't realize the only way to it is a cross? We have to overcome some. Here's some things I could overcome. Fear. Anxiety. Depression. Here's another one. Insecurity. Anybody need to overcome insecurity? Do you know, for the first half of my life, I let everybody tell me who I should have been. And then Jesus came and redefined a whole new reality for me. Yeah? Does anybody want to overcome insecurity? What about this one? Caring what people think. What about this one? This is a good one for the church. Should we overcome respectability? Do you know that respectability is not a fruit of the Spirit? And some of you have been perfecting it for years. You've wasted so much time. King David says about respectability, Hey, Micah, you think that was bad? I'm going to take off my kit. I'm going to become even more undignified than that. What he's saying to us, I will not be defined by your senses of what is right and wrong. I will be defined by the love and the passion that Christ has for me. You've got to come to a time. You either get there through old age or you get there by decision. 
The world cannot be the voice that tells you who you are. Now, I'm at the age where I don't really care what people think. You've probably picked that up, haven't you? You've probably picked that up. I, I think when my daughter and I go out shopping, I feel I need to give back what she has invested in my life. So when she used to have a tantrum in the aisle, I'll have a tantrum in the aisle, essentially. <laughs> and you know what? It's much more fascinating. People really do come around and look. When <laughs> all those times where I said you couldn't have, she tries, no, Dad, you don't. I'm so grateful for two women in my life. I wouldn't know what I wanted to eat or how long I wanted to sleep or what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't thank God for the women in my life who know everything I need before I need it. And I don't even know that I need it. Okay, thank you, Jesus. You are the supplier of all my needs. I go to reach for a cake. You don't need that, don't I? Don't I need that cake? God, you're so full of wisdom, Jane. I don't know how I've managed without it all these years. You know, I think we should go here. You don't need to go there on holiday. What would I do? What would I do without these women? But for the first half of my life, everybody told me who I should be. And then when Jesus came into my life, he told me who I truly am. Now, whose report am I going to live by? And you know what? All of the people who have all of the opinions, they're not even living the life that they claim they're living themselves. Why would I be listening to somebody who has a small measure of faith when I can come to the Word of God that tells me who I am? I know who I am, and I know who I'll be. I know who I am, and I know who I'll be. Come on, I know who I am and I know that I'd be. And so they overcame. That meant there were some things to overcome. And that's not long meetings in church. Or worship sets that are not to your liking. And how did they overcome? Because they really were utterly convinced, as Paul is utterly convinced, that the blood of Jesus Christ is absolutely everything they overcame what the hordes of hell the demonic powers the disruption of the antichrist they overcame by the blood of the lamb the blood of the lamb let me tell you this in the next 10 years you are going to hear preachers specialize in teaching us on the blood of the lamb we have somehow lost sight of the fact that the only thing that gave us birthright into the kingdom of heaven is that Jesus shed his blood for our transgressions his blood heals the sick it raises the dead Come on, church. His blood is the answer and the antidote to every single ail on the planet. There is nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing more potent than the blood of Jesus Christ in a person's life. They overcame, which meant they had to get up and overcome some things in here, out here, because they knew that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the earth. And they walked in that confidence, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Washed in his spirit. Washed in his blood. I'm not old enough to remember it. They overcame by the blood of the lamb. And third thing, the word of their testimony. What is that? I got saved in 1974. That's not your testimony. That's your history. Your testimony here is your current reality with God. So, they overcame 
because the overcoming God inside of them trained them and taught them how to overcome. And we think it's bad now. This is terrible here. Go back and read it. They were so utterly convinced that the blood was everything. Now we're frightened to use those statements in church. We have become a little bit, what I would call, um, fake. The only thing that you have going for you today, let me be honest with you, it's not your wit, your intelligence, your good looks. I mean, they may all be true or not. The only thing as far as spiritually things are concerned that you have going for you is that you are a marked man and woman by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what separates you from all the other people in this earth, and that's what invites you into the fullness of all the God. It is not you who got yourself there. Christ has redeemed you. The blood has set you free. It's setting you free. It will still set you free. It will always set you free because it has the power over all things. And your testimony is not what happened in 1974. Your testimony is what is God doing in your life today? I have a friend, he won't let anyone share a testimony that's older than three weeks old in his church. And they have loads of people and they come up with these great stories and if it's older than three weeks, it's not a testimony, it's a history. That's why the Lord put right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. In other words, God, I want today to experience something of your goodness. Is there anybody awake or are you just melting in the heat? And here's the one, the one that really, really gets to me. Because it's the opposite to what I see or even how I live. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Listen to this and measure yourself against this, please. Just for yourself. And they love not their lives even unto death. Do you know, if you took an honest look in the mirror, if we're really honest here, and I like to keep it real, don't you just love your life too much? You're welcome. Don't you just love, don't you just think a little bit too much of yourself? Isn't it all some days about you? Or is that just me? Am I the only sinner in the house today? Aren't you just a little preoccupied with me? Isn't your life really lived from that place? Hello? So the Bible says in the end times, listen to this, this is really serious. People become lovers of themselves. The work of God is always the work of God, which is to get you to die to yourself. When John the Baptist sees the Lamb of God for the first time with his natural eyes, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Straight after that, he uses this phrase. And it's a spiritual principle for us that we should live by. He says these words. Now, this is John. And this is what Jesus says of John. There was never any other who was as great as John. That's what the scriptures tell us. That's Elijah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, 
none were greater than John. John the Baptist, in the middle of a desert, attracted crowds of multiple thousands of people who walked for days in the blazing heat to hear his message of freedom and deliverance. There was none greater than John, filled with the Spirit, passion, prophetic man, unusual character, had locusts in his beard, which I suppose means you've always got a constant supply of food. But the reality is that Jesus, when he meets with John, John says something very fascinating for me. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, why is he saying that? Because any real move of God, that's what happens. He must increase and I must by default decrease. So I might not get my chicken dinner because he must increase. You see, I don't mean to be rude. I'm going to say this because I said it in the first service. I like to be consistent. Why do we think God is going to move in power between the hours that we afford him? Do you think that God's got to watch on in heaven and think so we must? Holy Spirit, it's time for lunch. Do you think that in those moments God is saying, look, we'll just hang back with revival for the nations and salvation for the weak and the, the wounded because after all, these people are hungry and they really need to go and have some roast potatoes. Do you, uh, do you honestly think like that? Do you ever think that God looks at us and thinks we want to shoehorn our relationship with him into a few hours on a Sunday where he has to do everything? I don't think it works like that. I honestly don't think it works like that. And I need to tell you, it doesn't work like that. Do you know when we saw revival in Glasgow, we had to wait in the presence of God until he moved. And that didn't fit around the service times. If you want God to move in this nation, you might need to move first. You might need to move the parameters slightly wider and say, God, I'm not going to be so prescriptive about how I think you should do what you need to do. I'm going to let you be God, and I'll do my best to follow. He must increase. And why, why would he need to do that? Because unless he increases, we're never going to see everything that God has provided for us. He must increase, and I must decrease. Any real move of the Spirit, the Hebridean revival, two older people suddenly get a burden to pray. For Scotland particularly, it ended up being a worldwide phenomenon. And here's how they decreased. They came away from life as they knew it, and they sat in a room, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they wept, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And we, this side of it, think that that had nothing to do with it. God sovereignly just moved. No, God moves where people are moved. When people are moved, God will move. And so we must decrease if we want him to increase. We can't keep saying we want him to increase without understanding what John was truly trying to teach us, that we have to, he has to increase and we have to decrease. This season we've been through, don't worry, I'm finishing now because I can, my own chicken dinner is calling me. Um, the pandemic was your opportunity to decrease. God was deconstructing some things that you propped your life up with. And all we can do is try and get it all back where it was. 
And God left the space because where there's a gap, he wants to move in power. In your need, you cried out to him in a way you could never cry out to him in your plenty. When you were desperate and confused, you lent into the Lord and the Lord moved upon you. I don't know why it has to be that way. My hope is that I wouldn't have to get to a place where I'm almost desperate. I don't want to be desperate for God. Let me tell you why. Because that means I'm only coming to you because I've got nowhere else to go. I want to live with this consistent deferral to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I want to recognize on a day-by-day -day basis that I need to live for my overcoming reality. I need to substantially accept that the only thing that's markedly different about me is that I have been blessed, healed, restored, renewed, made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I need to have a current story to tell about the God who started a work in me and has not yet completed it. And then, the outworking of all those things is this, that I stop trying to fill my life with things that I think make me who I am or who I'm not, that I love my life even unto death. Now, for those people... <laughs> God used the remarkable journey of overcoming the revelation of the blood, the word of their testimony, and the fact they were willing to die to transform and to renew all kinds of things in their generation. Are we those people? Oh, dear Jesus. Are we those people? Do we even have the vain desire to be like that? Stand with me, please. Just close your eyes for a moment. Apostle Paul, praying for the church of the future, praying for the end time church, praying for those who will come into the big story of God, declares a whole bunch of things over them and I want to declare them over you as we close. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would start to partner with the reality of your born-again status. He uses the word, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Do you believe that, church? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, and authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And this is what Jesus did, and this is why it's important for us to live from that place of knowing 
that the resurrection power of Jesus is the same power that lives in us and we're not tossed about by circumstances or situations. He says on this, and God placed all things under his feet. If you are in him and he is in you, he has also placed all things under your feet. Amen? And he's appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. We have a God who knows what he's doing, which is his body, which is us, the ordinary people here today. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul's not praying for something new. He's praying that we would see what we already have. Father, I've done my best today to try and provoke and to press in to the greater realities of your kingdom. I pray, God, that somehow, even in my limited ability to do that, you will take certain phrases and words and scriptures and you will begin a work in us that's so profound, Father, that we find ourselves caught up in the story of God, a story that consistently and persistently invades, like climate change, Father, every environment and every situation we find ourselves in. You are already at work in us and you desire to work through us. And Lord, I pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we'll stop allowing circumstances or external realities to define for us how we live, Lord, that we will live from the certainty and the clarity that we are the beloved of God, cherished and desired and delighted in, Father, and that you have placed this glorious power, this resurrection power, in the very center of our human experience, that we would not live intimidated or restricted or confined or defined by the world around us. You even use these phrases, Lord. Be you no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed transformed by the renewing of how you see things the greater greater realities of God's word flooding our minds invading our hearts manifesting in our lives until we can say we are ready father to be like the people in Revelation 12 overcomers why don't you say that out loud I am already an overcomer why don't you say this out loud? The blood of Jesus Christ is all sufficient. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. And this no, no I'm sorry, forgive me. And this third thing I want you to pray. God is at work in me currently, making me more like Jesus. Lord, open my eyes to see that. And not be intimidated by what's happening around me. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know you. I may know what you're doing. I may know what you're like. And now lift your hands for me, please, as we close. We won't have a song. The worship team are waiting patiently. Thank you for your grace. Father, help us to die. Jesus, really help us with this. Help us to give up our lives, just like you gave up your life, Jesus. Help us to embrace the cross, to cave in to the reality of your superiority. Help us, Lord, not to love the temporal things more than the eternal things. Help us, Lord, to have clarity about what really is important and what isn't important. 
And Father, may we live with a certainty that comes from that process, that no matter what happens in the world around us, we can say, and we say this out loud, greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Why don't you say it out loud? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. And so tomorrow, or even by the time we get to the car park, let the overcoming begin, Lord. Let the solid reality of the blood of Jesus Christ manifest theologically and in truth and reality. Let the word become flesh in us, that we live from that place of certainty. And Father God, give us this day our daily bread, that we may never go hungry living on past memories of what God did in whatever time or season of our lives, that we are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And Father, may our taste buds spiritually come alive to the fullness of all your word has to offer us. And Lord Jesus, may death become us. May the stench of death be an aroma in your nostrils, God, as your church seek to lay down their lives as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, and acceptable. And God, someone today, before we even started our service, said to me, what is worship? And I pointed them to this scripture in Romans. Lord, this is worship. Not that I sing songs on a Sunday but that I live every moment of every day with the consistent reality that there is one greater than me and I defer all my decision-making to the wisdom of his word and the direction of his spirit, that I honor him in everything I do, that in every handshake or hug I give, I seek to be a blessing to him as I am to another, that I become his body, his hands and his feet, expressing his great love and power and devotion to this world into every context and environment I stand in. And all God's people said, we love chicken, otherwise known as amen. 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 God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day.